This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm a career coach and a former lawyer and executive. And my new book is called Find Your Happy at Work. It's about getting unstuck and creating new energy in your career. Our guest today is Debbie Cole. She says she was brought up to be a Southern lady. However, although her family wasn't pleased, she stepped away from that role and became an entrepreneur and a successful business owner. Then, after 35 rewarding years in business, she launched a new career phase. And now she's an author, speaker, photographer, and a passionate champion of women who dream about flourishing careers. Debbie will tell us about her new book with the intriguing title, She Believed She Could, So She Did. Her book includes portraits of 35 women who, by design or circumstances, found themselves creating or leading companies. And she'll also talk about ways to help you and other women thrive in their careers and their lives. Deborah, you spent a long time as a business owner managing really big and interesting, complicated projects, and and now you've changed gears and you've you're an author and a photographer and you're doing all kinds of interesting things. But it sounds like your career didn't start out that way. Before we get to the important topic of your book and all the women in your book, could we ask you to kind of back up and tell us? your career story and how you got here? Sure. I I don't think it's, it's different than a lot of um, men and women find it. I came to it by a really circuitous route. It wasn't so direct and linear. Um, I just over a weekend, a friend asked me if I would want to, um, to buy a business, an existing business with her. And I had never, ever in my life thought that I would be a business owner. I never saw myself as someone um, that would be totally in charge. Now, I always felt like I was entrepreneurial, but not in the same sense of owning a business. So a friend asked me if we, I wanted to buy a business with her. That didn't work out. So we she and I decided that even though that deal didn't work out, we would start our own business. Well, that was a whole new territory for me. I did not take any, if many, business classes while I was in school. I, I had some basic accounting, some economics, but really not the day-to-day running of a business. Nothing to do with hiring employees, um, running jobs, any of it, none of it. And so I owned the business, uh, and it was a commercial landscape design and construction business. Um, we started off with two people and two thousand dollars, and grew it into quite a quite a large operation over thirty five years. Well, it sounds like um, you learned on the job, and you did that really well. But from what I read in the book. Uh, you not only weren't 
um, didn't go to school to be in business, but you were raised in a very different way. I loved that you said you were, um, you started out as a Southern lady, um, which is a, a, a different kind of path. Now, I um, think I know what you're talking about, but not everybody might understand what you mean. What was it to be raised as a Southern lady? Well, you know, none of it, it individually, none of the, the things I might say sound horrendous, but, um, but they sort of, now they sort of give me pause and, and I, my daughters, I've certainly uh, raised with some of the same values, but not the same directives. So it was always to put others first, yourself, um, always put yourself in the background, never to be too full of yourself, never to boast, never to brag, never to, it's always about putting others first, always making sure everyone else is comfortable, everyone else is attended to, that their feelings and their thoughts are more important than yours. Um, and also just, you know, little little things like the way you dress, the way you act. Um, I had a grandmother that was wonderful, just an amazing grandmother. Um, and I wouldn't change anything but I didn't learn the skills about being a strong woman, being independent, relying on yourself, um, loving yourself as much as others. Um, and so it was just, a, it was a different time and times are different now, thankfully. They, they are. And I, I, I truly understand it. I remember my mother saying to me, if I got a good grade or was in a play or whatever, if I did anything the least little bit good. She would say, now don't talk about it at all because it'll make the other children feel bad. So um, if you were raised to not brag and to be modest at all times, uh, and then you grew up and take on a career where marketing and being able to talk directly about your accomplishments is key, it's a, it's a leap, isn't it? It, it, it is. Um, I will say that uh, what it did, I don't know if I got this from my upbringing or um, or whether it was just naturally. I learned that um, the employees and the customers, or I won't say they came first, but I considered them always first. And I never felt like I was putting myself um, in harm's way or putting myself in the background because it was important for me that the employees know how important they were and the customers as well. So there, there's some, you know, if you can dig really deeply in there, there's some good nuggets of uh, appreciating others and finding the value in others, but without putting yourself in the background. So, I totally agree with you. It's getting the right balance. And I know one of the things that you've been doing recently is trying to help other women uh, find that balance. And that brings us, of course, to your lovely book with the intriguing title, She Believed She Could, So She Did. So how did you come up with that title? Well, the title, of course, is not original. You can find it on coffee mugs and notepads and mm-hmm. notebooks. But it it really spoke to me uh, after I, I, of course, I picked it last I, after doing writing the book, uh, photographing all the women. It uh, it 
was so apparent that all of these women, it was not that they all went into business because they saw that they were going to um, make millions and millions of dollars. It was not, it was not for the financial it, part of it. It was so they could uh, fulfill their own passion so that they could do something that they believed in. And just hearing the stories of how these women came to um, also for them, it was by circuitous route, except for the surgeon in the book. And I guess the veterinarian, um, none of the women really had a very direct course. It was uh, doing this, doing that, and then really focusing on what they loved. And um, so it was, it was fairly easy because that was something that across the board um, with the women, they all believed they could. So they did. And they believed in themselves. And that was very uplifting for me because I went into business thinking, oh my gosh, how can I, how can we do this? This is, how can we start a business and hire employees and buy equipment and set up an office? I mean, who do we think we are? And that was kind of the, the voice in my head. And these women also had a little bit of that voice in their heads too, but they believed they could. So they did it. So I think that women today have are so much uh, um, more um, attuned to what it takes to be entrepreneurs than um, than I was in my youth and and the women I knew and when when we were young, but still fear and coming past fear seems to be a, a big theme for um, my clients. It certainly has been when I've tried something new. Um, did you find fear was something that you had to grapple with? Um, every day, especially, <laughs> especially on Thursday when a new payroll was due the next day. Um, yes. I mean, fear, fear is something, and it's something that, that I, um, share with other women that are either starting out in business or in business and asking, will this fear ever go away? Well, it's not, um, a little bit of fear is okay. You know, just being, being sharp and on the edge of knowing that, that there might be something more or something uh, different to do. Uh, there might be a new market to, uh, reach out to there. There's always some sort of just imbalance maybe rather than fear that it's not. And I think the minute that anyone gets too complacent and you lose your edge, I think that's when it may be time to make a shift. Yes. And and sometimes that kind of scary feeling you get, as you say, it may not be fear exactly. It may be excitement and a sense that you're not quite prepared for the excitement, but if you call it fear, it makes it worse. So so partly moving forward with new things, isn't it, uh, it's, it's like getting comfortable with discomfort mm-hmm. and knowing the difference between something foolish and something that's just challenging, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I remember a project that we took on uh, and I, I can remember distinctly where I was, what I was doing, even what I was wearing when I had the thought, this is the biggest project we've ever taken on. I'm not sure we're really ready for it. It will either make us or it will break us. And 
my goal is to have it make us. And so it's it's that recognizing, I think, rather than being consumed by fear or consumed by discomfort, is calling it what it is and then working through that if if your gut tells you, yeah, you know, 75% this is right, but I've got 25% discomfort or fear, then it's time to go for it. If if the, and I won't say fear, it's apprehension maybe, or, um, you know, maybe this just isn't the right thing for me to do right now. You know, it's good to listen to your gut too, but yeah. recognizing, is it fear or is it just sort of that excitement, apprehension, that, um, that little nervousness and a little nervousness is good. Yeah, it is. You want a little edge. Yeah. Well, when you wrote your first book, um, did you find it to be a scary proposition or did you just know the time had come? How was that like? Well, I did, I did the first book for, um, primarily for myself. It was, um, sort of a, a catharsis, for me and letting go started out being um, letting go of tangible items. Letting, and then, then it became letting go of attachments to things, attachments to the fact that I was for 35 years, I've been the president of a company. And then over a 24 hour period, I wasn't anymore my my mobile phone was cut off my email address was gone all of that and it was by my choice but and that natural step so letting go was um it, i i wrote it and did the photography put the photography together sort of as a catharsis for me and then but then when someone said well you really need to make this into a book and that was scary because i thought oh my gosh People are going to read things about me that even my family doesn't know. They're going to, I'd been so long a business owner where having uh, a lot of feelings and a lot of uh, vulnerability was not part of being a business owner. Well, I'm incorrect in that because I believe that is part of being a business owner, but very much so. But the but from the beginning to, I always felt like, no, I need to be the strong one. I need to not show that anything is scary. I need to not worry about anything. Everything's going to be fine. And so in this book, I was being vulnerable and that was very scary. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or environmental studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. So the first book was about you and kind of 
letting go of where you were and going to someplace mm-hmm. new. And, and mm-hmm. now this book is about other women. And mm-hmm. uh, you, along the way, became a champion of other women. Tell us about how you chose to write this book, how you got started. What was it like? Um, early in the pandemic, I, uh, when everyone had everything shut down for them, I was in the middle of writing projects. I was in the middle of photography projects. And I thought, gee, you know, I, I'm going to be uh, on my own for a bit and not being able to travel to other countries, not being able to do my photography. And so I need to think of uh, and I'm, I'm a big believer in meditation. And in one of my meditations, I um, went into a place where I saw myself not only using a couple of my talents, but also how could I use it for the good of others? How c- and I thought, well, and what came to me was it's a natural. How can you lift other women up? during this process. And so I began photographing women street artists doing uh, a mural in my hometown, Austin, Texas, and, uh, and just talking to the women, talking to the challenges of how they get their artwork out. Um, and this was a street mural that was commissioned by the city. Um, it, so I thought, you know, well, I could, I could take this even further. What do I know best I know business. What did I miss the most early in my career? And that was having anybody to talk to. And I I thought, well, that's a natural. I'll talk to women. Uh, And so I started looking for women, not necessarily in high profile businesses. I didn't, and there are some here in Austin and some in Texas, some nationally that are very high profile women, but their stories are pretty well known. And so I wanted to find women in, in um, local women and women in Texas that maybe they don't have their stories written up by newspapers and on radio. So I, I searched out through different ways, searched out women, all different kinds of um, professions. Uh, some I knew and some I didn't. Uh, most of them I didn't. And I got to know them. I asked them each because they, of course, they were a little skeptical at first. You know, what you want to photograph me? You want to talk to me? What is this about? Because nobody ever asked them, tell me your story. And so I said, if you'll give me an hour for an interview, then I've got some specific questions I'll ask you. And, and one, well, two women I ended up spending eight hours with. Because wow. people don't people don't ask their stories, you know. Tell me your story. So it sounds like the process was wonderful for you. Aside from the, what you came up with, you had some real adventures. Oh, it it was fantastic! I fa- really found a hard time stopping. I was going to stop at twenty five women, and then I got to thirty, and then at thirty five, I said, "No, no, no! I've got to stop because there were so many wonderful women." to interview and to photograph. And plus I enjoy giving women the opportunity to talk about themselves because they don't typically in business. They've got their minds on other things, whether it's financial or employee issues or just selling things, marketing, 
And we didn't really and, talk and, about business. We, that was one thing. I didn't ask any of them what their gross sales were. I didn't ask them about their mark. It was not about the business. It was about them in the business. That is an intriguing approach. Uh, did you find some common themes that on uh, first glance, it feels as though there's quite a bit of variety, diversity in this group of 35 women, mm -hmm. but first, there are a lot of things that uh, were similar from person to person? Mm, I think resilience, um, resilience, um, most of them, um, all of them that had employees, some of them were, were sole entrepreneurs, but the ones that had employees talked a lot about their employees. Uh, they, they didn't, and none of them, I'm trying to think, make sure I'm not overstating this, none of them talked about the business per se. It wasn't about the business. Of course, I didn't ask them about the business, but you know, sometimes people will will shift over into, uh, if they're not comfortable talking about themselves, then they can always talk about the business. But they ended up all talking about themselves and, and their families and what it was like uh, to be in a business, running a business, what they, what they felt like, if they felt like they were missing out on anything. Um, I also found that even though there are a lot of women in business, I think 40% of all the businesses in the U.S. are owned by women, they didn't really have mentors. They didn't have other women they could talk to. Oh, that's interesting. That's a shame, too. Well, it is, because I think that's one thing we as women do very well, and that support each other. And uh, one woman in particular said she had reached out to this organization and that organization and um, never could find. She was looking for a peer group. And she wanted a peer group with women in it. She didn't want a peer group with just men. So it's, um, and, and, that, and I understood that because I used to be in a peer group myself and it was me and six men. But there's just something different. Um, there's just something different. And, and I think that, I believe that's changing. The one thing that was really sort of refreshing was the young, youngest member of the, the group in the book uh, is 21 and she's still in university. And to know that women as entrepreneurs are supported through their business classes, through organizations, through, I mean, entrepreneurship is not something that's weird or foreign. Yeah. Well, you've just uh, suggested, implicit in what you were saying anyway, I think three ways that we can help each other, we can help other women uh, to become entrepreneurs or to be leaders in any kind of context. One of them you mentioned is mentoring. A another one that you pointed out needs to happen is convening. Sometimes um, women are looking for peer groups, looking for support groups, and they don't find any around. So learning how to convene what you need is something um, that, that can be possible. And then just shining a light on entrepreneurship. The third thing is letting people know it is not weird to be 
a woman in business. Are, are there <laughs> other um, things that, that you think that we or businesses or society could do to help women who are trying to make this step into leadership and entrepreneurship? What can we do? Um, individually, finding where our, our gaps are in our, either our education or our learning or our training or our experience, and then finding ways to fill those gaps. Um, and it, it's still, sadly, still the case that women have to work a little bit harder, um, do a little bit more. And so just not having any gaps uh, if if financial if we've been in HR and we want to work toward uh, a corporate board seat or toward uh, being on the executive team, knowing financials is really important. I'm just using that as an example mm-hmm. that uh, finding our gaps and and I think women are meant to, but I think women are pretty good about um, recognizing what they might not know. And, and that's, a, a, that's something that I always um, thought was something I needed to do. I, when I was, felt like I was lacking in financial expertise, I took a couple of classes at the local university and learned about P&Ls and balance sheets and, you know, to, so that I would know what I was talking about, when, no matter whether I was talking to somebody internally or somebody uh, externally. So just finding our gaps, and that's all it is. It's just a gap. It's not permanent. So one of the things that I think you do is you make a shift in your head, and when you notice, oh, I'm not good at this, I don't know that, which going back to that voice in our head, many of our mm-hmm. many of us have heard ourselves saying that, you don't know this, you don't know enough about that. Instead of looking at it as a block, try to train yourself to look at it as a learning opportunity. Anytime you can be on a learning path, it changes everything in terms of creativity and learning something new is a good response, right? To that, that fear of going forward because you don't know. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I remember when my company was getting into the landscape maintenance operations and I thought, you know, I'm going to be buying a lot of expensive equipment. I don't know anything about it. So I signed up for a class to learn about it. And of course, I was the only woman in the class, but it was a lot of fun. And, you know, it it was definitely a gap, but, um, but I also had fun doing it. It was, um, got information, but I had a good time too. That's an important point. Trying new things and plunging in, getting past that first discomfort and plunging into it is a lot of fun. And once you do something a little bit entrepreneurial, whether that means trying out something new in the organization where you've worked for years or starting a business, once you've done it, it is surprisingly fun. And that makes it easier to take the next risk, right? Absolutely. And the people that you get to meet along the way, that's, I mean, that's just, it's an incredible um, bonus that meeting the people from different walks of life that you never would have met, you've never been in a room full of financial people, um, whiz kids that know everything about financial statements. It's, and it's good. And you 
you develop friendships um, that you can call on then when you get stuck with something. Um, I and I I do the same now. I have all kinds of friends slash mentors in writing, in photography, in public speaking, and it just broadens uh, your circle of friends too. So networking, which a lot of people don't want to do, or at least they hate the word, mm-hmm. is rewarding in itself because it's enjoyable once you start, but it's also really important for building your ideas and, and launching anything new. So networking is a good starting point, but uh, we're running out of time. Before we go, I want to ask you, let's say we have a woman out there among our listeners who for the first time just is feeling inspired to launch a new business and doesn't know what to do at the end of this podcast. Do you have some suggestions about how she might get started? Yes, I I would say do some research. And of course, you can research anything for years and years until and that's all you're doing is research. But um, but do research, find out about similar businesses in the area that you're uh, going to be operating in. Um, talk to people. Part of the research is, of course, online research, but then also talk to people. Start small. Um, I recommend starting with no to little debt. Uh, if you don't have, to, if you don't have to borrow money, don't to start a business. Just start small and build it up, and then reinvest into your own company. And, and then find people to network with so that when questions come up, you've got somebody to call on, whether it's a banker, somebody about insurance, somebody about real estate space you want to lease, um, develop friends. The wider your circle of friends, the better. And your book is a good starting point for people who want to be inspired about how others began. Again, that's it's called She Believed She Could, So She Did. And it's on Amazon and other places? Um, it's on Amazon and also um, a little different price point on my website, DebraColeConnections.com. Well, it's a lovely book, and I'm so glad you were able to join us today. And I, I hope people enjoy these 35 wonderful stories. Oh, thank you so much. Today, we've been talking with Debbie Cole about women creating and leading businesses. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work. Today's tip is that sometimes your most rewarding career path doesn't start out as the easiest. Sometimes pushing through the fear is the best way to begin. Thanks for listening to Jazzed About Work. And if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating.